love you and we thank you in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Tyler. Uh, wow, interesting times that we're in. You know, it's, it's kind of weird being able to uh, look on Facebook and see the things that are going on in Afghanistan and then at the same time see the hamburger somebody had for dinner last night. And so it's like these two different worlds. It's like there's all this fun and excitement going on and this complete devastation going on at the same time. It is, uh, it's a real skill to be able to navigate all that. Like even right now, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of a somber moment. Worship kind of ended a little somber. We have a somber prayer. We're interceding for Afghanistan. And, uh, and at the same time, we're like, I don't know what to do with all the good stuff that's going on while all that's going on. And I think two things can be, remain true at the same time is that we can definitely be going through the toughest time as a nation, uh, as a globe, as a people, as, a, as, as humans. We are going through some of the toughest times, well, maybe the toughest times of our lifetime. And yet, at the same time, God alerts us to some of the beautiful things that go on all around us. As uh, I've done some chaplain work in the past, and one of the things that I will do is come to a scene where there's a deep loss and and tragedy that's gone on. And one of the ways that you keep yourself in the space where you can minister to people and be there for people is you look for the beauty in the midst of the tragedy. When you see a loved one how deep that person has truly impacted them. And you see the beauty of their love, even though they've just lost someone. You you have to look for those beautiful moments. I remember this one wife hovered over her husband that had just passed. And out of her purest of hearts said, who's going to make me coffee in the morning? In other words, that was a special moment in her life every morning where her and her husband would get together and he would bring her that cup of coffee. And that stuck out in my mind. is like, okay, so in the midst of the worst, we look for the beauty and look for the opportunity to find and focus in on that which is good and noble and beautiful. Where we see God working, where we may not see him working at all, we can still find the beauty. We can still find where God is showing up. Amen? You know, uh, today I want to talk to you about something that's uh, a real challenge. We're talking about roots, and we're talking about making sure that we are rooted and grounded. The, the Scripture tells us in Psalms and in Jeremiah that if we will sink down roots in God and in His Word, that we will be like trees planted in rivers of living water. And we all desire to flourish. We all desire to live in a way that causes fruit to come out of our lives. We don't want to just show up here and just be here and not have our lives make a difference. We want to make sure that we are people that are producing a fruit that changes people's lives and makes lives better. I think that's part of the frustration of what's going on in Afghanistan for us 
It's like we feel so helpless, like, how, what can I do? Well, one of the things you can do is you can pray. And one of the thoughts that came to my mind uh, is, is uh, when Tyler was praying for Afghanistan, was there's one prayer that most of you won't want to pray. There's one prayer that most of you would resist, and I would encourage you to do this because Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5 to pray for our enemies and those who persecute us. We pray for them. We do good to them, despite the fact that they're our enemies. And Jesus tells us to do something that is so difficult to do. And one of the reasons he teaches us to do that is not just so that the impact of God's, God's blessing or God's fruit in their lives or uh, opening their eyes to see the truth or to uh, move in a way that we can't even explain, some kind of miraculous way. We want all those things to happen, but also we want to make sure that those who harm us, those who persecute us, don't shape our spirit. They don't shape who we are. They don't shape what we do. They don't shape how we act. They don't shape us. And by praying for them, then they no longer can shape us into being angry people, revengeful people, uh, people who are spiteful or people who um, are looking for an opportunity to repay evil with evil. And so Jesus tells us to do that. And, uh, and so as we go into this week, let's make sure that we are, when we are looking inside of ourselves and we say to ourselves, there's nothing I can do and I'm frustrated. It's like, no, get on your knees and begin to pray and intercede for the persecuted church, for the citizens of Afghanistan, and including your enemies. Uh, we want to pray for the Taliban, and we want to believe that God will have amazing experiences with Taliban people, uh, just like he did with the Apostle Paul. When he was on his way to persecute, he had an encounter with God. Let's believe for those kinds of encounters to happen during this time. All right. So I'm going to talk to you about the roots of our convictions. And um, this thought came to my mind, or the story of my childhood came to my mind, is when I was a kid, we would go up to Whidbey Island to our, my, uh, our parents' cabin. And we had waterfront property. It was just a beautiful piece of property. And we'd go down to the beach, and we'd collect starfish. When the tide would go way out, we'd go collect these starfish. And then we'd bring them up to the cabin. And then we would lay them in these big trays that had this liquid called formaldehyde. Of course, it took the life of the poor starfish. Uh, but then what would happen is, as they took in that formaldehyde, it would preserve it. And when they dried out, we'd take them out of that, rinse them off, and they would be dead. And then they would be dried up, and they'd be hard, and we could put them on the wall. So we had them all over the wall of our cabin. And, uh, and so, uh, as kids, we loved doing that because we could paint them afterwards. We could do all kinds of things. We'd decorate our rooms with them and stuff, and they didn't smell or any of that kind of stuff. And so, it was really kind of inter interesting how that liquid preserved the starfish. Well, as uh, time went on, I just remembered that formaldehyde was the thing that killed and stiffened the starfish. That's all I knew it was good for. It was for starfish. That's all I thought it was for. And then as I got older, I became a Christian and, and started going to church. And I, one time I went and this guy was speaking on health and your body and all these kinds of things. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that he said is you have to be very careful with the different kinds of artificial sweeteners that there are, especially the one that's in diet 
soda. He says there's a, there's a chemical called aspartame, and it's in diet soda, and it's actually formaldehyde. And I went, what? I love drinking diet soda. I'd go to Red Robin with all our friends. We'd go after church, and man, I'd drink like 17 diet sodas. I would just pump those things down, eat all the bottomless fries you could eat, and that diet soda, just bring me another one just as fast as I could drink them because they were free refills, you know. And so I would drink them and drink them and drink it, thinking that, oh, man, there's no sugar in this, so I'm good to go. And all of a sudden, I realized I'm preserving myself. I'm going to be like a dead starfish before you know it. My whole body's going to be dried up. They're going to be able to hang me on a wall or something along those lines. And I remember with that information that I got, that knowledge that I got, I formed the conviction that I should not drink diet soda. And so at that point of my life, which was almost 40 years ago, I made the decision that I wasn't going to drink diet soda. Wasn't long after that I did the same thing with fast food. Very seldom do I ever go into a fast food place to get fast food because he went on to say some information, give me some information that convicted me, and so I chose that I wasn't going to do that. Now, we all do this. We all pick and choose certain things that we have conviction on. So we, we, we choose them, uh, maybe personal preference, or maybe it was because we uh, had a very influential person in our life that communicated to us or that convinced us or that raised us up a certain way, that we develop these convictions, these things that we hold fast to, these things that we, we, we have as a rule or a law or, or a standard or a boundary or whatever it is, but it's a conviction. It's something that is in our heart. And the interesting thing is, is that when it comes to convictions, um, they are things that happen inside of you because you experience something or you were inspired. You, were, you had a revelation. You discovered it. Uh, and, and then you chose to say, this is my conviction. And I started thinking about that when it comes to our faith. And, and I wrote this down. And this might be something that you might want to write down as well. That real religion, okay? And I'm not talking about just doing things out of habit or meaningless prayers, things like that. But, but real religion, a, a devoted following or a devoted faith. Faith in God, beliefs and morals are the results of the convictions of the heart. And so when you say, where does your faith come from? Or what is your faith based on? Well, really what it's based on is a conviction that you had. Maybe you had this encounter with God. Or somebody was really good at explaining the gospel to you. Or maybe you had an experience where you went through a tragic moment and somebody that had the love of Jesus came into your life, and you're like, oh, man, I want what they have. You went into a church service, and you encountered the presence of God. And all of a sudden, you had this awareness that, man, there's, there's a God, and he loves me. And you get this conviction that this is real. And that's what happened to me when I was at 21 years old. Walked into a church. I saw people singing. I saw something on their faces. I saw, I saw a, a joy. I experienced the kindness, the love, an acceptance. And I knew the way that I was living and the way that I, 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 my, my morals or whatever you want to call them, 
they were not like these peoples. At least it did. I didn't think they were. And so I felt, in a sense, at first less than, but when I walked out of there, I felt bigger on the inside. Why? Because of the way I was treated. And that day, I began to open my eyes and to hear and see things that I'd never seen and heard before. And I recognized that not only do these people love me, but God loves me. And the acceptance I'm feeling from them is an acceptance that God has for me. And, and so that did something inside of me. I made the decision I was going to follow Christ. And pretty soon I learned some things. I learned some things. I learned that there was one God. I learned that that one God loved me. I learned that he sent his son Jesus so that we could have relationships, so I could understand God by seeing it in human flesh. And I learned those words that Jesus taught, and it built something on the inside of me. And I had this conviction. I had a conviction that there's something after this life. There's a heavenly realm that we get to experience in eternal life. And I had this conviction. It's a conviction that nobody can take away. I have this conviction that the Holy Spirit works in our lives and prompts us and leads us and guides us in, into truth. I have this conviction on the inside that God came to forgive us and to teach us how to forgive others. I have this conviction that God is a peacemaker. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And so I have these convictions, convictions like marriage is sacred. Human life is sacred. Human life, the minute it's conceived, is sacred by God because he says he knew us in the, before we were even in the womb. And so I started developing these, these convictions as time went on. And nobody made me. Nobody forced me. But I was starting to get some roots in my convictions. And those roots started going down because I would read Scripture. I would listen to messages I would have certain experiences. I would watch other people. I would deduct from looking at creation. I would deduct looking at circumstances in life and watching what works and what doesn't work. It was a process. I didn't get them all at once, but the one thing I got all at the very beginning was I understand that God loved me and that I was to love others. That was really, really that first conviction that I had. And so what I want to do is share with you a process or a way of thinking about convictions that I think is really important, that I think will help you. Because recently, um, I've been approached by a lot of people, and with all the things that are going on in our world today, we understand that uh, there's different governmental ma mandates going out regarding vaccines there's, uh, and COVID and protocols and all the kinds of things. And people have been asking me, hey, can I get a religious exemption for my work? Because I've been asked to do something I, that violates my conscience or that I don't feel good about. And so I had to start thinking about, okay, what is it about this that, uh, or what position am I going to take or is our church going to take what, regarding these things? And I started thinking about convictions. And, I started noticing something. There were some people that were coming because they had a conviction, a real conviction, that they were being asked to do something that spiritually they felt uncomfortable with, that they felt violated their, their convictions. But then there's other people that just want to form, and they don't really have a conviction. They just want to 
they just want somebody to endorse their personal preference. And, and so those, that's, that's a different thing. And then there's also those that just felt like, I don't know, there's something I'm uncomfortable with. I don't know what it is, and I need somebody to help guide me. Why, don't, why do I feel uncomfortable about these things? And so I started thinking about these convictions and how they're formed. And, you know, oftentimes what happens is, is that we want the benefit of having a conviction without having a conviction. And, and I want to take a look at what convictions really, the right spirit behind convictions is. Pastor um, Kevin Gerald in Tacoma uh, had this scripture. He shared this scripture in 1 Corinthians, and I'd like you to turn there. Uh, 1 Corinthians 8 in verse 1. And th- when he read this scripture, it really, it, it really resonated with me. And I really feel this passage will really help you with your convictions and understanding what you really believe and how do you enforce what you believe and how do you enforce your convictions and all that. And how does it relate to others? Because in the same room, you could have people whose convictions kind of butt heads with each other and completely are against each other and both of them professing Christ. And you can see from this passage what happens. There's many times people have different uh, convictions. And Paul is showing us how to deal with that when there is a um, disagreement when it comes to those convictions. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, in verse 1, Paul is, is addressing the Corinthian church who had a lot of experience um, and part of their culture was making sacrifices and giving gifts at the altar to idols, different idols and different gods. And so, of course, in the Christian faith, they had said, okay, no more is there many gods, there is one God. And so this comes out of a pagan tradition that uh, in the Corinthians, uh, their culture, was that they would worship these idols and, and because they were trying to cover their bases is what they're trying to do. They're trying to make sure that they appease any kind of God, even the ones they don't know because they had one called the unknown God. And, uh, and so they started looking at the fact that there was people that were eating some of the food that had been sacrificed to idols. And there were some people that had no problem with it because they didn't believe in idols in the first place. So they said, well, you can sacrifice all day long. And because the idols, you know, they have no power and they don't even exist, um, it doesn't matter. It's good barbecue. Okay, we'll just take that meat and chomp it down, right? Uh, It reminds me of the ribs I had yesterday. They were so good. And that's what these guys were doing. They're smelling the meat. They're smelling it cooking. It's barbecuing, and it was being sacrificed to an idol. And there's people who say, man, I'll eat it. I'll, I'll buy it. And they'd go into the market and they'd buy this meat. And, and they knew it was sacrificed. They had no problem with it. And then there was other people that were worried that if they ate it, they wanted to eat it. But if they ate it, then they might have a curse put on them or, or that they were doing something wrong. All right? Um, some believe that, oh, if I eat that meat, then I'm, I'm, I'm a part of this whole system of, of pagan worship and all that kind of stuff. So... Anyway, so he goes on here, and Paul says, Now, regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols, yes, we know. We all have knowledge about this issue. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Now, interesting. So, 
people understood knowledge. One translation that says that knowledge can be puffed up. Knowledge often is prideful. Sometimes when you have knowledge, you have power. And when you have power, sometimes people use that power to oppress other people or to force other people or to mandate other people because they have this knowledge, this information that is superior to everybody else. Maybe they haven't learned it yet. But interesting how Paul says this. He says that regarding your questions about food that is uh, offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. We all got different amounts of knowledge. We, and our knowledge comes from different sources. And depending on who you got it from will form and shape your, your thinking. It also shapes your convictions. But knowledge makes us feel important, sometimes puffed up or prideful. It is love that strengthens the church. First thing I want you to note, as a Christian, as a person that's looking into Christianity, keep in mind that there is a posture that we need to take that says the most important thing is not the knowledge and being right in God's eyes, but it's the love that you have for individuals and for God that is the most important thing. You see, when I became a Christian, I, the first thing I learned is about love. I learned that God loved me and that I was to love others. That was the first thing. That's the most knowledge I had. I had no other knowledge. I didn't know any theology. I didn't know any belief systems. I didn't have any understanding of the books of the Bible. I had no idea that, that Noah parted the Red Sea. I had no idea. And that was my mindset back in those days. Some of you didn't catch that, so you might want to read your Bible. But anyway, so I had no knowledge. I had a lack of knowledge, and so I didn't have, a, I really didn't have any convictions that came out of a knowledge from the Bible. I only knew that I was loved by God and that I was to love others, okay? And that love is the baseline of every Christian's belief and needs to be. But sometimes what happens is our knowledge becomes superior, and then pretty soon, our knowledge gives us the right to take on any posture that we want to take. And Paul immediately is saying, just because you know more than everybody else doesn't mean you have the right to not act in love. He says, it's love that strengthens the church. Verse 2, anyone who claims that he knows all the answers doesn't really know much. But the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. Now, notice this. Just because you have all the information, just because you know you're right, doesn't mean that God recognizes that as being holy or being the, the, the spirit-filled way of moving forward. Just because you have the truth, just because you know the scripture, just because you know the science, just because you know something, doesn't give you carte blanche to act any way you want. So who does God recognize? The one that is holding their convictions with love. With love. Hmm. It's kind of quiet in this room. Maybe that's because I'm the only one here today. But um, out there, I want to hear you out. And get, go ahead and type in your thing. If you're on Facebook Live, type in there. Those of you that are online on the platform would love to hear from you. Uh, especially if you disagree with me, I'd love to hear that too. Um, in verse 4. So what about eating meat that has been offered 
to idols. Well, we all know that an idol is really not a god and that there is only one god. There may be so-called gods both in heaven and on earth, but some people actually worship many gods and many lords. But for us, there is one God, the Father, by whom all things were created and for whom we live. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created and through whom we live. There's the conviction right there. There's the Christian conviction right now that there is one God, the Father, whom by all things were created and, f and for whom we live. And there is one Lord, one Jesus, through whom all things were created and through him we live. Verse 7. However, not all believers know this. Now notice this. Not all believers know that there is one God the Father whom all things were created and that there is one Lord Jesus Christ and through whom we're created. You know, all, not everybody knows this. Not everybody knows this. And, and they're still believers. They don't have it all. They don't have the knowledge of how it all works. They don't know the scripture passage or whatever and all that. But Paul's laying the case and saying there's people at different levels of knowledge. Not everybody believes this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real so that when they eat food that has been offered to idols, they think it is worship of real gods and their weak consciousness are, consciences are violated. It is true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We do not lose anything if we don't eat it. And we don't gain anything if we do. But you must be careful that your freedom doesn't cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. And so there is this idea that convictions are things that we follow and our conscience makes us aware of those convictions. And when we start to violate our convictions, our conscience says, hey, bed, remember, starfish sucked up all the formaldehyde. Okay, I'm being kind of silly here, but this is how it works. Every time I'm thinking about having that Diet Coke, or back in the early days when it was still new to me, I just remind myself of the formaldehyde, what was happening, my conscience was telling me. There's something on the inside telling me. Some of you have your conscience telling you things that you don't have any knowledge about. And that's okay. Some of you know that there's something wrong. There's some things that you shouldn't do. There's some things that you shouldn't say. There's some, some things you shouldn't accept. There's some behaviors you shouldn't follow. There's some people that you shouldn't listen to. There are some things that you need to hold fast on. You don't know why, but you have this conviction. In a minute, we'll get to there. Don't use your freedom to cause a weaker conscience to stumble. For if others see you with your superior knowledge, eating in the temple of an idol, they won't be, they, they, uh, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been offered to an idol? This reminds me of a lot of Christians have a belief and a practice and an understanding of drinking alcohol is okay. And so 
they have this freedom. They don't have a conviction about drinking alcohol, so they have no conviction about it uh, other than maybe that they shouldn't be drunk with it or that they needed to be responsible with it, okay? But then they have friends that have struggles with this, and either they struggle with it theologically or they struggle with it because they have addiction in their family or they struggle with it because they themselves are a recovering addict. And so they have convictions. And so I've noticed this, that sometimes people that have a freedom with alcohol sometimes have no problem causing people to stumble because they do not hold back. They are very loose or very liberal with what they do. And so they could be causing somebody to stumble. And so we want to always remind ourselves that when we have convictions that allow us to have freedoms, that we need to make sure that our freedoms don't cause other people to stumble. There's a passage here um, that says this in uh, James chapter 4, verse 17. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Uh, one translation says, to him that knows to do right but doesn't do it, to him it is sin. And there's a lot of people that have certain preferences or have certain beliefs or certain limitations or have certain struggles that they know that they shouldn't participate in certain things. And if they are caused or enticed to do, violate their conscience, then Paul is talking about this. Don't, don't cause them to stumble. Don't lead them to stumble. Be aware that just because you have a freedom in something doesn't mean that you should entice somebody else to have that same freedom. Don't make them violate their convictions. This is what some of the problems that we're having today is in the dialogue that people are having regarding COVID and masks and vaccines and all the things that people really have knowledge on both sides of these issues that they want to bring to the table, but they want to use their knowledge to force somebody to violate their conviction. And guys, convictions are not things that we mandate, conditions are things that we inspire, things we discover that we are drawn to, not forced to. Okay, I'm getting off here a little bit, but let me go, let me go down here and finish this, this passage up. When you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, you're sinning against Christ. Wow, that's a heavy one. So if, I, if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live. For I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. Convictions are not mandated. They're not imposed. They are discovered, inspired, and concluded by observation and rooted in personal experiences. Paul when he got knocked off that horse on his way to persecute Christians, he had a personal revelation from God that gave him a conviction that caused him in the face of death to proclaim the name of Jesus. Paul endured prison sentences, being beaten and stoned, shipwrecked, and all the things that he did. He had convictions that said, I must go on. I've got to reach people for Christ. But that didn't come because somebody made him. 
Somebody didn't hold a knife to his throat. Somebody didn't force him into it. It came out of a conviction that he had of the heart. And so all of us need to understand that tapping into the roots of conviction really starts by gaining knowledge. Uh, we, we go with that baseline of love. Jesus says that, that he came to give us life and life more abundantly. We start with that basic knowledge. God loves me enough that he would send his son. And because he sent his son, I'm forgiven. And because I'm forgiven, I forgive others. That's that baseline knowledge of the scripture. But as time goes on, we get more and more knowledge. And one of the ways that we get more and more knowledge that forms convictions is we start reading scripture. When you read scriptures, you start seeing the way that Jesus lived. You start seeing how he handled enemies. You start seeing how he handled marriages. You start seeing how he handled the sick, how to handle tax collectors, how to handle the government, how to handle all the things that, are enga- that people engage with on a daily basis. And then when we see how he did it, we start to form that same opinion or thoughts or belief system. And then we get convictions. And those convictions begin to guide us. And they begin to direct us. They also awaken our conscience. And they cause something on the inside of us to get stronger and stronger. And then instead of just following Instagram or just following TikTok, now all of a sudden we're following the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit starts to shape something on the inside of us. But it starts with Scripture. And then as we're tapping into the roots of conviction, then the Holy Spirit begins to convict us. There's this thing uh, that goes off on the inside. In, first, in fact, let me read this Scripture in 1 John chapter 2. Verse 27, it says, you have received the Holy Spirit, and he lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true, for the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. And what he teaches is true. It's not a lie. So just as he taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. So as we remain in fellowship with Christ, as we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives us convictions. And begins to lead and guide and direct us. And so some of us sometimes don't realize this. But in one translation of this same verse says, you have an unction from the Holy One. There's this stirring on the inside. And you know all things, it says. Okay? So when you start to, this relationship with God, there's a stirring that comes on the inside. And, and truth begins to be spoken in your spirit. That's why some of you... You have some concerns about things that are going on in the day that we live in right now. You don't have a scripture and verse. You don't know the science, but you have a conviction that is stirred on the inside, a prompting, an unction from the Holy One that tells you something's not right. Something's not good here. And that conviction, you don't know where to place it as far as your knowledge because the knowledge hasn't come yet. And so there's two things to think about with that. One is you got to make sure that you start looking for knowledge and start seeking knowledge and not just talking heads, but you start looking for real knowledge. You search the scriptures, you search science, you search, and you, you who seek, you will find. But not only do you seek the knowledge, but you also listen to that prompting, the unction from the Holy One that lives within you. There is an unction that lives, a voice that lives on the inside of you that begins to stir you. And so as you listen to that, you don't need a person to tell you what to do or not to do. You need to listen to it. Some of you, 
You, you've said things like this. I know that there's something not right with what I'm doing. I just don't know what it is. And you know, that's the Holy Spirit trying to bring you a conviction, trying to stir you, wakening your conscience up. The Holy Spirit gives us wisdom when we ask of God. James tells us that we get wisdom when we ask of God. And he will show us some things. And that wisdom will give us a conviction. That wisdom will begin to stir on the inside of us. And when we are convinced that the wisdom that we have is coming from God or the wisdom that we have is coming from true knowledge with a pure spirit, then all of a sudden a conviction is stirred on the inside. I love this, this passage here in 1 Timothy chapter 1. It says, cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. If you ever get to the place where you have a conviction or you have your conscience is speaking to you, and it's, it's stirring on the inside of you, and you violate that conscience, then you endanger your faith. You begin to doubt all the things that are foundational to you. So listen to that foundation. Listen to that conviction. Listen to that still, small voice, and follow it. Cling to your faith in Christ. Keep your conscience clear, for some have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Mm. It's a powerful scripture. We want to keep a clear conscience. We want to have a right spirit, right? And we want to, and we want to act on that conscience. First Timothy chapter five or chapter one, and verse five. The goal of our instruction. This is Paul talking to Timothy. The goal of my instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. A sincere faith. We want to keep a spirit of sincerity. We want to make sure that we have good knowledge. And we want to establish convictions that are rooted and grounded in the love of God and the scripture that we know. And we allow that Holy Spirit to begin to lead and guide and direct us. So I have been wrestling with this thought. Is when is it okay for me to communicate my conviction to somebody who has a different conviction? Well, <laughs> there's been a couple of times where I've had conversations where my conviction, uh, I felt so passionately about it. I could tell that what I was doing as I was forcing my conviction on somebody else. And guys, that will never work because it's the love of God that draws people to the truth. And so what I had to do at different times, I felt myself, the Holy Spirit saying, back off, back off. If you keep pushing, you're going to force this person into violating their own conscience. And we can't do that. Guys, we have a lot of topics today, a lot of issues today with COVID and all the things that are going on right now where people are, are fighting 
for one another. And oftentimes what we're doing is we're putting people in the position where we're asking them to violate their conscience. Nobody should ever force you, and you should never force anybody to violate their conscience, ever, because it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You can't mandate conviction. You can inspire it. You can lead people to it, but you can't force it. The minute you do that, you find yourself in the same position as the, the, the Christians during the Crusades when they put a knife up to people's throats and said, confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior or else die. Okay, how does that work? That doesn't work. So no person, no one should cause you to violate your convictions. Not the government, not your pastor, not your spouse. No one should force you to violate those. Stay true to your convictions. Stay strong. Put your faith in God. Keep the right spirit and watch what happens. God is going to do something amazing in, as we go forward in the future. I want to pray for you right now because some of you are in a place where you have to make decisions. And some of you are really nervous about some of the things that are going on with COVID. And you're, you're, you're feeling fear. You're, fear, you're, you're fearful of government, you're fearful of people, you're fearful of certain belief systems or whatever. We want to get rid of the fear so that we can think clearly and make wise decisions. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now for our congregation, watching online, watching in person, wherever they are. I pray, God, right now that your spirit would give them the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. God, I pray for every single person that has fear. I pray that you would take away fear so that they can clearly hear what you would say to the church. God, for those of us here that have convictions that we feel are being violated by friends and family, maybe even by our own church, maybe by neighbors or whatever the case may be, employers, God, I pray that you would show us how to be strong in our faith that we hear that voice that gives us the convictions that are of our heart. And God, when we have disagreements with people that we love and that we care about, help us see it as a conviction issue, God, and not a right or wrong only. God, we pray that you would not let our knowledge be puffed up. Help us make sure that we don't cause people to stumble, God. Help us be a people that adjust our posture and order to love and do the greater good. God, we pray for your kingdom come, your will be done in our land. We pray, God, that you would cause people to not operate just on their knowledge, but they would operate on the love of God because that's what strengthens the church. God, it's more important that we love one another than we prove that we are right. Father, when we are stepping out of love, Will you remind us? Will you convict us? Will you speak to us and put us right back onto the right path? Father, for those of us that have hurt and wounded others because of trying to be right or trying to force our knowledge or trying to force our opinion or our belief on somebody else, God, I pray that you would cause us to repent and get back into the spirit of love. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen, amen.